Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good with Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. It's the next part of the kind of message we're going through First Samuel, studying the life of King David. And today we've made it to the story of David and Goliath, which is uh, a phrase that you may hear when you're watching a sporting event today. My buddy Braxton is here today. He is, his team is the Goliath today. Nope, they are the David, and they are going against a Goliath, and we're rooting for him to win. But it's a story that is like totally familiar across our whole world and culture, this idea of the young boy about to be king with the sling in his hand, uh, killing a giant. That's what we're going to talk about, that story. But I want to try to get past, it's easy with the Bible stories to let it become this kind of like nice fable and uh, miss the supernatural truths that are behind it. That's what we're going to try to talk about this morning. It's, um, so if you have a Bible, I'd love it if you'd turn there. It's in 1 Samuel uh, in chapter 17. And um, it's, I have nine truths today about what the story is about, which is just this. It's a vivid picture that there is nothing that God can't do. There is no problem that God can't solve. There is no thing that you can come up against where what you can say to yourself is, well, I know this for sure. God can't help me with that. We come up against problems all the time that we don't know how to solve, right? Like Bobby was just talking that we're doing some work around the building. Uh, I am not handy. I'm handy kind of with words, and that's kind of where it ends for me. So there's problems that I come against in terms of like fixing something at my house or at the church where I'm like, I can't fix it. Just flat out can't. You may come up against, like if you're not a math person, you may be one of those people that I got to like trigonometry and, and that was the end for me. Just it wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't matter who the teacher was. It wouldn't have mattered. It was just like my brain doesn't work that way. You may have been an athlete and you worked your hardest and you gave everything you had. And then it, there was that one point where you were like, yes, and I, my dream was to make the NBA. And then I realized I was like five, six. And so it just isn't going to happen for me in the way that I wanted to. We come up against problems all the time that are more energy, more effort isn't going to fix it. But God, no problem that he's involved in is like that. And so I want to just invite you as we're starting to open your heart towards the reality that you are facing something challenging. Everybody in this room is in in various ways. It may be that I don't know how I'm going to get here to there with my retirement. It may be that I don't know how. I just don't know how this marriage is going to make it. I just don't know how. It may be that I've ha- I had this habit that's gotten something to an addiction, and I don't know how it's going to get broken. It may be that uh, the abuse that I went through as a child, as I get older, it just feels like it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and I don't know how I'm going to get past it. I don't know what it is for you, but I want to just invite you through this story into the truth today. That there's nothing that God can't do. That doesn't mean that it happens before you leave church today, and it doesn't mean that everybody gets a neat, tidy box of a perfect answer to their prayers. 
But there's nothing that God can't do. So we've been learning about David. He's a young man, and uh, it's a long story. I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm going to put some of the highlight verses on the screen. This is the most outstanding example that we see before Jesus on the cross of God's power to give victory against dramatically overwhelming odds in response to faith and courage. This is not a story about human courage and effort. Instead, it is about the awesome power of a life built around faith in God. It starts here in uh, chapter 17 and verse 1. If you're there and you're ready, I'd love it if you would just say, I'm ready. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Succah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Succah and Azekah, and I'm not even going to try that next word. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered, and they were encamped in the valley of Ella, and they drew up a line uh, in line for battle against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and the Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. So you can totally imagine this, right? Uh, the Philistines are one of Israel's natural enemies because of proximity. They were fighting for decades and centuries over territory. And uh, you can imagine what it looks like. It says there, there's on one side of a mountain, there's an army, and they're looking across a long valley at another army. And the idea is it appears in just a second here, we're all going to be in the valley fighting momentarily. And then it says in verse 4 that there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Uh, a cubit was a measurement that they used in this time period that was from uh, the end of your middle finger to the bottom of your elbow, typically about 18 inches. There isn't a way of talking about uh, this particular reality that this text is saying to you that this guy was over nine feet tall. Uh, my son Reed, who is here today, has a basketball coach who is seven feet tall right now. It's really fun and intimidating. Like, he wanders in, and they're like, I don't know, this guy must be coaching a good team. And it's like, we've won the game before it even starts. And it's crazy to watch this guy who's seven feet tall, like, duck in the doorway. And he's always, like, kind of his clothes, like, never exactly, like, seem to fit right. And that's all the best window I have into thinking about someone that tall. Uh, it says there that he has a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze between his shoulders, and the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if, if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. This is pretty common. Uh, this is pretty common in certain segments of society 3,000 years ago. The idea was, and it makes sense, rather than all of us kind of like running with our spears and swords all into a big like, pile, and then at the end of it, most of us are dead, and we try to figure out who won, they'd come up with this innovative way of doing war, which is like this, how about you just pick your best guy, and we pick our best guy, and they kind of like one-on-one, -on -one, and then that'll just decide the thing, and then one, someone will won the war, someone will have lost the war, but at least there won't be as many people, and there won't be so much blood to clean up, or something. It was kind of like the idea. I kind of get it. Which totally makes sense if you have the nine-foot guy on your team, right? And he's like, all right, so here's how it's going to be. You bring out your best guy, we're going to fight. And he starts taunting them like, come on, what are we doing? What are we doing? In verse 10, in the Philistine, Goliath says, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. 
Verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Why were they dismayed and greatly afraid? They were dismayed and greatly afraid because they had forgotten that they had a God that they worshipped who was in charge and in control, and they were thinking about the fact that there's no way we're going to beat this guy in any fight. Not one of us is going to beat this guy in a fight. So they were dismayed and afraid because they couldn't see a way from where they were to where they wanted to be. It felt impossible that it could be different or change. I have nine truths I want to tell you about a giant killing, the way that God killed Goliath through David and the way that God wants to allow you to grow in faith to kill giants in your life. The first one is this. There is always a giant, someone bigger and better than me. No matter where you go in your life, no matter how high you rise uh, in your company, there's going to be someone in your company or at a competitor whose sales numbers are just a little bit better. Uh, my boys are learning this, that in sports, no matter how well you do, there's always someone somewhere who's better. No matter how successful you may feel in this one way, there's always going to be something somewhere that makes you feel that sense of, I'm not good enough. That is a certainty for every human being walking this planet. One of the reasons why, we've talked about this recently, so I won't spend a ton of time on it right now, but one of the reasons why we find it so challenging to understand why successful, rich, famous, beautiful, millions of Instagram followers type people, why we struggle to understand their unhappiness is that we assume that you get to a certain place and then you feel satisfied, contented, happy. But we all know that like, all those other girls that were like the cool wives are all sort of in their head like, this was a lot more fun before Taylor Swift like showed up and now she's the one on the camera all the time and we lost our place. <laughs> because we know that that's how life works. There's always going to be something bigger and better. I did want to note here that uh, champions of this size because it's important, I want to just always point us to the fact that the Bible is not just good advice or ideas. The Bible is true in everything it says and everything that it asserts. And God has this way of bringing things out in archaeology to help us uh, build our faith. Champions of the size of Goliath are not simply a figment of Israelite imagination or embellished legends. Uh, the Egyptian letter on papyrus from, 13th, from the 13th century B.C. describes fierce warriors in Canaan seven to nine feet tall. Additionally, two female skeletons, about seven feet tall from the 12th century, have been found at a specific place there in that area. Do you need that to know that the Bible's true? You shouldn't. You probably don't. But it never hurts to know that God is showing us all the time that his word is not just good ideas. It can be trusted to build our lives upon. And I don't know who those seven-foot girls were, but I wouldn't have wanted to mess with them either. <laughs> so verse 12, now we are. David is the son uh, of... And Epaphrite of Bethlehem in Judah, he's being reintroduced to us here. It says his name was Jesse. He had eight sons. Jesse, David's father. David was the youngest. We've learned this before. In the days of Saul, Jesse was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. The names of these sons were Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah. Uh, David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So you can imagine his job was to, like, to make sure your brothers have enough food. And it says that for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. So you can imagine what happened. Every morning, Saul gets up, uh, Goliath gets up, he puts on his armor, he says, hey, 
I'm not leaving here, and you're not leaving there, and this battle isn't over till this fight happens. So, I'm Goliath. I like it. Yeah, I like it, I like it, I like it. And the idea was, we're going to wait. That was a long time, 40 days, and David's job is back and forth to bring food to his brothers and trying to scope things out. It says to me this second thing, which I think is important understanding for us as people and about the culture that we're living in. If the people of God don't stand up, evil giants always prosper. That nothing is going to move until someone says, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. If the people of God don't stand up and work in business, run for office. We have so many people in this church that are teachers in public schools, and I'm so grateful because we need somebody. Somebody, somewhere. Who agrees that somebody should be a voice for Jesus Christ in public schools in our day? Right. Everybody always raises their hand to the idea that someone should do it. But what we really need, like I see my friend Derek, he's looking great. He's wearing a referee uniform right now in church today because he's going to referee a basketball game. Uh, Or maybe to call a foul on this sermon, depending on how things go. Uh, I see Derek over there. He's one of my friends. He's a teacher in a public school. We need people like that standing up for Jesus. If the people of God just sort of hide over here, evil always prospers. And I think that when we look at the world that we're in today and we see how many things there are, do you find there's things about our world everywhere I look that just grieve and bother me so much? The reason why that's happened is that the people of God haven't stood up and evil prospers. Now, we stand up first, and primarily, this is what we're going to see uh, from David, we stand up primarily through our behavior. We stand up secondarily through what we teach our children, and we stand up thirdly by how we engage the public. One of the reasons that evil is prospering in our society is many people of faith have got those things pretty much totally reversed, right? So nobody needs to hear any more from someone about the sanctity of marriage when they treat their own spouse poorly. Nobody needs to hear any more from you or from me or from any other person of faith our opinions about things that we're not willing to live out ourselves. That's the reason why part of the thing is so broken. But these are responsibilities that we all have, all because this, every day for 40 days, Goliath got up and said, all right, is today the day? Who's ready to fight? And as no one stood up to stand up to him, I'm sure in their eyes he just started to look taller and taller and taller and taller and taller. So then, verse 17, Jesse says to his son, Take for your brothers uh, some of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. So you can imagine, this, the older brothers are fighting in the army. David is not yet, he's been anointed as the future king, but he's still a young man. As best as we can tell, he was probably like 18 or 19 years old. And so his job was to make sure his brothers were fed. Verse 19, uh, dad says, verse 18, see if your brothers are well. Bring them some token. Just let me know that they're well. So David says that Saul and all the men of Israel were in the valley and they were fighting with the Philistines. Fighting should be in quotes there. And David rose early in the morning and he left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions. And he went as Jesse, his dad, had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as they were to the battle line. And it says there that they were shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle army against army. This is the part I love. It sounds just like a kid, doesn't it? 
And David left all the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went to greet his brothers. And as he talked with them, the champion, the Philistine, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. So I just want you to imagine where, this is a real person, imagine what he was feeling. So David was the youngest of eight brothers. He was the one seen as the less important, less significant. He's the one that they didn't even bother to invite to the party when we were going to figure out who the next king was going to be. Yet this guy showed up one day out of nowhere and said, you're going to be the next king of Israel. And then what happened is what often makes those powerful moments that we have with God challenging. I don't know if this ever happened to you. He had a powerful moment where he saw his future and his destiny and what God wanted to do in his life. But before it happened, he had to go back to the mundane of day-by-day life. He had to go back to doing, keeping the sheep, being the young guy. And he shows up, and you can just tell by the way that this is written. Uh, Little brothers don't care anything about where they should be at the age they're at. The only thing they care about is wanting to be where the other brothers are. My testimony, basically, it's everything every day. They want to have a phone when their brother has a phone. They want to be allowed to stay out till their brother's allowed to stay out. They want to be able to do what their brother's allowed to do. Maybe it's sort of the same for girls. I don't know. It's not my world, and frankly, I'm fine with that. I... But if you have siblings, you kind of know this pull, right? Am I telling the truth? That feeling of, and you can see in David, that feeling of this fight is about to happen. This this war is happening. This significant thing is happening. But I'm not part of the army. I'm just like the kid driving the Uber Eats car around. If you want to know about the way that God works with you and with me, know this. You may feel behind right now. You may feel behind. But God's timing is always perfect. So you may feel like, I wish I was opening my heart to God 10 years ago, but I'm only figuring it out now. You may feel like I'm learning all these lessons that would have helped me as a parent, but it feels like my kids are starting to be grown and it's too late. You may feel like I, I thought I would be further by now. <clears throat> And that's a natural feeling, totally natural feeling. And it is also a a human feeling that God wants to work with you right where you are right now. And he knows how you got to where you got right now. And he knows better than you know why you are where you are right now. And the story that's been told for 3,000 years that we're studying today is even more powerful because the kid who killed the giant wasn't even in the army. He was just like some kid that wandered up out of nowhere because when God puts his hand on someone, everything else that should make it the wrong time, the wrong person, the wrong reason, the wrong whatever, all falls away instantly. So I guess I just want here... um, Set yourself free from, once and for all, from the timelines. Yeah, I don't know. You probably did want to be married by now or be further progressed in this way or that way. Sure, we could fill 
a day of all the people that you know in this church saying all the reasons why they thought I'd be at a different place by now. Or like it's like the, we, we worked our whole lives and we thought that this was going to be the, the part of the life that was easiest and it's turned out to be the hardest. Or I thought, but, I, but this person who I thought was going to be with me isn't here now. We have all of our ways of thinking. I thought it was going to be different right here. And I'm not saying it's easy, but we just have to put to the side. God got David to the front of this battle the exact day that he wanted him to get there to kill the giant. And God is going to get you exactly where he wants to get you for what he wants you to do today. So the next verse says this, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, this is Goliath, fled from him and were much afraid. Now, I don't know how much you know about the way that men roll or act, but you don't see a man uh, turn and run away very often. Like, kind of like the core thing of being a man is at least pretending to feel strong and confident, even if you don't feel strong and confident. You know what I'm talking about? Kind of like the core thing, like, you know, like if you're driving in your car and, like, you see somebody looking at you, what are you looking at? You know, it's like that instinct, that instinct to confrontation over the embarrassment, right? I think I'm telling the truth. So these guys just, this is what happened. When they saw Goliath saying, who's ready to fight? They all ran because they were so filled with fear. How afraid do you have to be to not care what it looks like when you run away? How afraid do you have to be? We were in the office this week, and someone in the office who will remain nameless, Linda, thought that, they saw, <laughs> thought that they saw a mouse or a rat or whatever running through the building. And literally, I was on the phone with somebody, or I don't remember who, I was on the phone with somebody, like, and they're pouring out their heart to me. And I hear the staff like screaming and running around. And I come bursting out, like, you know, ready to like, you know, whatever. I, and, and there was no mouse at all. <laughs> so I want to be really clear now as I retell the story. There was no mouse at all. But if you know that feeling of fear has taken over and I'm not in control of my body or my mouth or whatever, it, you know what there's, this is what it says. They ha- and so the men of Israel said, this is what they're saying to each other, you know. Have you seen this guy who came up? He, he's come to defy Israel. <clears throat> but you know what? The king is going to enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter as a wife and will make his father's house free. That means what they're saying there in verse 25 is, it's pretty good. The guy who can kill Goliath is going to get a ton of money and a princess for a wife and no more taxes. Pretty good. Well, why did the prize get that big? The prize keeps getting bigger because nobody's willing to take it. And David says to the men who stood by him, so they're all talking, you know, back and forth, which it kind of sounds like the guys are kind of like, ah, it's a big prize. Why don't you do it? Why don't you do it? Why don't you do it? And David says, the youngest guy there, what shall be done? For the man who take, kills this Philistine and takes the way approach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. They're focused on the reward, not focused on the fact that this giant has dishonored God and they need to fight. That's kind of what's happening. So verse 28, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, And Eliab's brother was kindled against David. Nobody is meaner than an older brother to a younger brother that I've ever seen. He says, what are you, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? You see, he's kind of trashing them. 
I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have just come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not just but a word? And he turned away and started talking to somebody else and spoke in the same manner, and the people answered him again as before. Number four, I want to pick up the pace. People who are afraid of their giants love to make you stupid for trying to be brave towards yours. It's always the person who's given up on their relationship already who's trying to subtly tell you you should give up on yours. It's always the person who's decided to just coast and be lazy who's trying to make you feel like it's good to be just coast and be lazy. It's the person who stopped praying for their prodigal child that wants to tell you to just not worry about it so much and stop with all the tears and all the intensity. People who are... What was that? Is, did it sound like a ship was coming in? Did anybody hear that? We're okay. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah no problem. Okay, that's good. So be, is there, is this like a tugboat? All right, so... This is really good truth for somebody today. The people who are trying. Do you see it? David is, is in full of faith saying, he can't talk like this to us. We have God on our side. And his older brother tries to cut him down to size because his older brother has fear in his heart and David has faith in his. Don't let anybody tell you that you should stop holding out for the person that God wants to bring into your life for marriage. Don't let anybody tell you to lower your standard or to start behaving the way the world behaves or to start cutting corners or that this is the way things work now. Don't let anybody try to diminish your faith for what God wants to do for you because that person has already given up on faith that God wants to do it for them. Don't you for one minute think that God won't do everything he's promised for you that he's going to do. So the story continues. Uh, When the words that David spoke were heard, they they repeated them before Israel and he sent for them. So you know how this goes if if you've ever worked in a big company. Somebody has an idea and it's made its way to the boss. And David said to Saul when he makes it in there to the king, don't let anyone's heart fail because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul says to David, "You, you can't fight him. You're but a youth. And he's been a man of war from his youth. And David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep. And when there came a lion or a bear or took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, "Uh, the Lord, check this. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, well, <laughs> go and the Lord be with you. Two things I want to show you here. One, do you notice how David's faith for today is built upon what he's seen God do in the past? This is one of the most important things. You've got to get this. If you ever get around someone with a lot of faith, It's because they've been through a challenging thing and God brought them through. And then they went through something else and God brought them through. And they went through something else and God brought them through. And so they're really like not super worried, even though the mountain in front of them today is big. They're able to say, well, the God who got me, David says, 
I killed a lion and a bear with my bare hands. So I just want to pause right there. That was a miracle that he did that, right? So we're not, the point isn't like, dude, he must have been like, what was his like workout routine? Like I, maybe we could learn some like fitness tips. He could be an influencer. Like he could kill a lion or a bear with his parents. No, it means that God brought those animals his way on some day when it didn't seem like it mattered at all. And all David had on those days was the faith to stand there and let God do the miracle. So that when the big giant was in front of him, he's like, I've been here before. And God was with me, and so I'm going to be here right now. That's really cool. The other part is really sad because um, from the moment we meet Saul, there's an emphasis on how tall he was. So it was said that Saul was a full head taller than anyone else in Israel. So I'm like thinking about that. Let's just say that if a normal guy at that time was the size of a normal guy now, that means that Saul's like, I don't know, six foot six, six foot seven, six foot eight, something in that range, like, Big, but not a freak, you know, kind of thing. And, and he was the king, and he was the one who had armor that fit, and he was the one that was supposed to lead. And the whole story is pointing towards the idea, of course, that who was the person that was supposed to fight Goliath? Saul was supposed to fight Goliath, but because he wasn't willing to, well, I wrote it down this way, I think this is helpful. If I won't do it, God will find someone who will, and I'll miss out on the blessing. There are people all over the place uh, that God wants to reach for his glory and his good. There are people that God wants to, miracles that God wants to do, cool things that God wants to bring. There's stuff all over the place that God wants to happen. And the question is, the thing that God wants to happen is going to happen. It's just this. Who's the person who's going to step up and say, put me in, coach. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll be the one to invite that person to church. I'll be the one to pray that prayer of faith. I'll be the one to get in that job or do that thing. And if I don't, here's the crazy part. Was God going to allow this Goliath to destroy his people that he had been building towards and promising for 3,000 years so that Jesus couldn't come to earth? Were the Israelites going to be destroyed by Goliath? No, the Israelites were never going to be destroyed. God's promise always comes true. It's just that God was waiting for the person to stand up and say, I'll do it. And Saul missed out on the blessing because he didn't have the faith to stand into it. So the story continues. Then uh, Saul clothes David with his armor. As best as we can tell in that time period, there was one really expensive, really impressive kind of set of armor. If you're thinking like one of those old like medieval movies or Monty Python kind of things. You're in the right neighborhood of that. There was only one, and it was fitted for the king. So Saul's like, come here, little guy. Let me put my big guy clothes on you. He put a helmet of bronze on his head, clothed him with a coat of mail. Uh, David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried. It says David tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I can't go with these because I have not tested them. So David took them off. This is all very metaphor-rich. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistines. So the king's tunic and armor would have been very distinctive. It's possible that if David went out dressed as Saul, many people would have thought that it was actually Saul going out. Maybe that misidentification was attractive to Saul. We don't know, but it's possible that Saul thought, maybe I'll put the kid in my clothes and then the people will think it's me being the brave one. 
The point of this section is, we're getting to more practical things now for you. David was going to kill the giant with the slingshot he used as a shepherd, not the sword that the king offered him that he didn't know how to use. Why? Because God wants to use who you are, not who you pretend to be. To kill the giants in your life, to run forward through whatever the things are that God has put in front of you, God doesn't want to use what you can pretend to be or what, like on your perfect day, you imagine you could be. God wants to use you. And so God gave some of us strength with words. God gave some of us strength in administration. God gave some of us gifts in business where we have ability to make money and it fuels all kinds of cool things through generosity. God gave some people the gift of encouragement. Uh, this, there's a whole like little sub-world in this church of people that are caring for people that are going through challenging and difficult times. And they're amazing people. This is like one of the most proactively loving places that I've ever been part of. And there are people that are never, they would be like, I can't stand on the stage with a microphone in my hand, but I can pour out every bit of love that God has put in my heart to try to encourage people. What's the point? We get so focused on trying to be the person we wish we were. God didn't use Saul. He didn't need the sword. He didn't need the armor. All he needed was that heart of David's that said, with God, nothing is impossible. So, do you guys know what uh, imposter syndrome is? People talk about it a lot. It's this idea that like, um, people don't feel equipped for the task that they have. They feel like they're faking it. A lot of people are like, well, I, I don't actually know how to be a parent. I'm just trying my best to pretend to be a good one. And it's sort of talked about in culture like uh, it's a bad thing. You know, what you really need to do is just kind of stand strong. And, and the truth of it is, this is my experience at least, the truth of it is nobody really knows what they're doing about pretty much anything. I mean, certainly not the people running our country and our institutions or the people around us. Our whole world is just made up of people trying their best to do the thing that God has put in front of them. And I wonder what happens if we put off the idea that it's someone else who could solve that problem. It's someone else who could make that speech, run for that office, run that business, fix that issue. God has equipped us for what he wants us to do. So the story continues. It says uh, that the Philistine moved toward, moved forward, and he came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And the Philistine looked and saw David, and he disdained him. That's in verse 42. The idea there of disdained is like uh, laughed because there was no way. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. That's the idea. He took the Lord's name in vain. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you can come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied pretty good that's pretty good 
This day, he says, David continues, verse 46, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. We don't know who's going to win the fight yet, but the speeches are pretty intense. And the way that I know when I'm reading this that God is going to bless David is that Saul insults David and David responds by saying, you've insulted my God and I can't allow that to happen. And you just got to know this, friend. We're at seven. We're getting close to the end now. God is jealous for his reputation and glory. Do you know? God really cares what people think about him. And the reason why we are so grieved when church fails or when Christians fail or when that one, uh, the people that were inviting everybody to church and now they're the ones that are getting divorced or getting struggling or when some bad thing happens in some place, the reason why it matters is that you and I are human and fragile and intensely replaceable. But God is very jealous for his reputation and glory. David says, the reason why I'm in this fight is so that everyone will know that the God of Israel is the real God who is the true God. You see it out there, right? Everybody in the world out there today, um, for the most part, the idea is there's nothing wrong. This happens to me all the time, you know, when people, um, you know, we meet, I meet somebody and what do you do? I sell insurance, whatever. What do you do? I'm a pastor. And then they just get this whole like confused look on their face like they have no, just don't know where to put it. And then most of the time, people do this like funny kind of pat on the head thing. They're like, oh, it's good, yeah. It's good for people to have something to believe in. It's like, oh, we're handing out pills and lollipops over here to try to help you make it through another week. They don't know any better, so I'm not saying that they judge them. You didn't come today to worship one of the options of who is in charge of this world or how to get to heaven. You came today to worship the one true living God. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we'll walk around today and I'll say to people, who's going to win the game today? And some people say the Chiefs and some people say the 49ers and no one cares and no one knows and one of them will win and there it is. This isn't that. David says, we're fighting because you are an affront to a holy God. So the story finishes and says that David ran uh, quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistines. Remember, they were on two separate mountains, like yelling at each other. And then it says that David put his hand in his bag. He took out a slung, uh, a stone, and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell to his, on his face to the ground. He throws a rock, it hits him right in the middle of the forehead. It hits him so hard, apparently. And we don't know if this is physical or supernatural. The whole thing is supernatural. That part doesn't totally, totally matter. But he falls to the ground and he's dead. And I just wanted to say here, um, the way that David, the way that God uses David to kill Goliath is through the skills and expertise that he had been developing for a long time when no one was paying attention. 
And I just want to say to somebody today who's listening, right now is preparation for the right time in the future. Don't let yourself fall into the trap of thinking that now is the time that doesn't matter. Like who, who, cares? who cares if I'm pure right now? I'm young. It's not marriage time yet. Who, who cares if I work hard right now? This, isn't, this job doesn't matter. I, I'm on my way to something over here. Who cares if I show up at church? No one will even know if I'm not there. There's this pattern that we can fall into that COVID really intensified for a lot of people of thinking that life isn't now. Life is something out there in the future. And David, amazingly, Think about how many times when he was bored watching the sheep in the field. He didn't have like Instagram to goof around with on his phone. He was just looking at sheep. And the one thing he had was this sling and those rocks. And he developed a mastery so that when it was in his hand and God wanted to use him for his glory, he was ready. Right now is preparation for the right time. And then this is the end of the story. So David prevailed over the Philistine, verse 50, with a sling and with a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that there was no sword in the hand of David? It's a way of the text underlining this wasn't like a really good fighter who won. This was God supporting his glory and his good. It's a way of the text way of saying it was a miracle. So David ran, and he stood over the Philistine. He took his sword out. He drew it from his sheath. He killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. You bet they did. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines so that the wounded Philistines fell on their way. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine. I know that's messing with your 2020 sensibilities. I don't know. It was what God wanted at that time, I guess. And he put it, his armor, in his tent. So we're at the end now, it's this. Do you know that God loves to win battles in a way that shows that only he could have done it? God loves to win battles in a way that people are like, well, no way a human being did that. God must have done that. God loves to win battles in a way that shows that only he could have done it. God wants to restore your marriage in a way that the people who know you are like, we used to leave hanging out with you and be like, no way those two are making it. Like, no way those two are making it. Like, out of all of us, those two for sure aren't making it. So the fact that you made it isn't because you two, like, got the right counselor, read the right book. It's because God intervened, and holy smokes, God loves to win battles in a way that he shows that only he could have done it. God loves to bring prodigal children back to faith in a way, prodigal people back to faith in a way, that only God could have done it. You've heard these stories before. The person, I was over here and I was doing this and I was doing this and then there was a Bible in my hand and this person showed up and only God could have done it. And that's why, the reason why this is so important, this is the, every week in this set of messages we're talking about something called the grace space. It's just one thing I want you to remember. It's this. We don't need to be the heroes of our story today. Jesus is the hero of your story. Do you know? So the, the point of what we're doing here, this is why what we believe is not the same Uh, There's lots of interesting stuff in the world of positive thinking and personal growth and motivational speakers. There's good stuff out there. Fine. But the whole point of that world is you can grow enough discipline and you can grow enough skills and you can try hard enough for long enough that you can do more than you can imagine when you seize the power inside of you and it's nonsense. Because the power
power is not inside of you. The power is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and went to the cross and emptied the grave and killed Goliath on this day. And whatever you are feeling and whatever you are facing, there is nothing too small for him. So the point that you don't need to like figure out how to be a hero. I don't want to do our best. Of course we do. We want to be, we've talked this whole hour about how we want to honor God. But at the end of it, I open my hands not to my ability to figure out how to solve the problems I'm facing, but to a God who loves me and a God who can do anything. And a God who I trust is going to make my life come together for his glory and my good. So our time is gone. Why don't you just bow your head for a minute? And I just want to just allow you to respond for just a minute. And so we're just going to pray. Kristen and Christian Christian are going to help me now. We're just going to pray for some folks. And I just want, it's real straightforward. If if the way that we're talking today, if God's word is speaking to you, I want to just allow you to let us pray for you. And so um, we're just lingering here for a moment. If what we've talked about today, you feel like you're having one of those, man, it was right for me today. I want to just invite you just for a second to just stand right to your feet right this moment. I'm not going to ask you to say anything. You're not going to have to like enumerate the whole thing or make it like super. We're not trying to get into your stuff. Maybe we can another day. But for some people, you're having that like the Holy Spirit is speaking to me today and working with me today and moving in me today. And we just want to pray for you. So I just, could you just, uh, just right now, why don't you stand up to your feet? Anyone else? There's people all over the room, wonderful. So ladies, just go and lay your hands on each person as I pray. Lord, I am uh, believing by faith that you want to do great things, not just in the past, but you want to do great things in the here and now. That your miracle working days are not done, that your arm is not is not too short to save, that your power is not unavailable to us. And Lord, I I pray that faith is being built now as we trust that whatever I'm trying to figure out, Lord, there are things that I feel afraid to say out loud because I couldn't even begin to imagine how you could bring that relationship together or you could heal that broken thing. But God, I know that you can do anything. And so I'm just asking, would you raise faith up in everyone today? God can. I know that he will. I'm trying to patiently wait. I'm trying to be filled with faith. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I know that he knows. Would you fill us with faith, God, not in our ability to do our best, but in the truth that you are a good God whose steadfast love endures forever, that you are power from Jesus. Praying now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you, everybody in the room, stand to your feet. Everybody in the room, stand to your feet. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.